Awesome. Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you for worship this morning. If you are new or visiting, especially want to say welcome to you. Uh, we're glad that you join us. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to help you get plugged into the community here. Like Aaron was talking about, small groups are one of the best ways to get plugged into the community at River City, and, and we'd love to have you be a part of one of those. So excited as well to continue our uh, series this summer. We're working through a, a series talking about the attributes of God. And what we've talked about is that an attribute is uh, it refers to a quality or a characteristic that 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 belongs to someone. And what we've seen is that God's attributes they define and describe who He is. In other words, they they tell us about who He is and what He is like. And it can be easy, I think, to think that studying the attributes of God is a really great thing that pastors and professors should spend time doing, but why the crap should anyone else think about that stuff? Like, we should just offload that stuff to the, to the brainy people, right? But a big part of my goal with our series has been to show you that, that what we believe about who God is and what he's like is, is not something that should be reserved for other people, but it's something that has deeply practical implications for our everyday lives, because the truth is, is that, is that what you believe, it always determines what you do. See, our behaviors, they are the external, they are, they are the tangible expressions of our beliefs. And so when our actions and attitudes and perspectives, when the way that we live is out of line with God's word and his will for us, then the reality is, is that on some level that always comes back to that, the reality that on some level we either don't know, we've forgotten, or we've refused to believe something that's true about God. And so if we want to become the people God's made us to be, then it begins with beholding and believing who he says that he is. And we don't have time to recap every one of the attributes that we've looked at so far this morning, but specifically over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying God's omni-attributes. A couple of weeks ago, Aaron preached on God's omnipotence, his, his limitless, perfect power. And he highlighted how oftentimes we trust in and rely on our own power. But, not, but what happens is we, not only do we quickly run into the limits of our power, what happens is, is that we tend to wield what little power we have in, in deeply flawed and imperfect ways. And it only leads us to pridefulness and it leaves other people oftentimes feeling used. But if instead we'll choose to believe in a God who's all-powerful, what happens is, is that we can trust in his perfect power and we can rest in his ability to bring about what is good in our lives and in the lives of others so that we don't have to. And we can lay down our own power and choose to love and serve others instead of use them to bring about our own ends. And last week we saw how the reality of, of a God who's omnipresent, a God who is everywhere at all times, that, that sees everything at once once perfectly, how that can feel overwhelming and oppressive, but we saw how beholding and believing in his omnipresence is actually the source of a really profound comfort in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficult situations and nice uh, situations in life, because it's the, it's the promise that he is always with us, always. And the reality that he's not just always present with us, but he's present with those that we cannot be present with. And it enables us to choose to be present in the places and situations, relationships God's put us in fully, trusting that he's present where we are, sustaining and caring and protecting. And, and all that leads us to the, to the third kind of omni-attribute, the one we're going to take a look at this morning. And a lot of ways, it's the one I think that kind of ties them all together. And so God's not just omni, uh, omnipotent and all-powerful. He's not just omnipresent, ever-present. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. And 
We began our series all the way back in a couple months ago talking about how God's infinite and incomprehensible and the reality that, that as finite beings, we just, we're not capable of knowing him exhaustively, knowing him completely. But what we're going to see this morning is that the opposite is not true of God. He not only knows everything about us, he knows everything about everything. And he knows it perfectly and exhaustively and eternally and instantly. And I don't know about you, but like we talked about last week with God's omnipresence, that reality is like equal parts mind-blowing, kind of terrifying, and a little bit comforting at the same time. And and what I want to show you this morning is that beholding and believing in a God who knows everything, that that's actually good news. And I want to show you how it enables us to trust and to rest in him so that we can become the people that he's made us to be. And so with that in mind, let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word this morning. So. God, thanks so much for your word and for our time together in it. We're just grateful for you. And God, as we come together to study your word and to, and to learn more about you this morning, God, we just recognize that uh, information alone is not what transforms us. And God, that your spirit is the thing that not just empowers us to know what's right, but to live in light of it and to be transformed by it. And so we ask God as we come this morning to study you and to take a look at who you reveal yourself to be, that you by your spirit would be not just showing us what's true, but you'd be shaping our hearts, that you'd be enabling us to trust in the truths that we see in scripture and to live lives in response to them and and to see your omniscience, your all-knowing as good news that shapes our lives. And so, God, I don't have any power to bring that about. In fact, this morning I feel especially unqualified. God, but I pray that you'd be gracious uh, to meet us as we study your word, that you'd empower me to teach with with authority and with truth, and that you enable us to hear and respond to you. And so, God, for every part of our gathering, we need you. And we pray that you'd meet us in that need, God. So, amen. Amen. Well, you know, I think when we, when you look at the world around you, what you realize is that we live in what's often called the information age, right? Knowledge about seemingly everything is literally at your fingertips. My, one of my kids' favorite, word, favorite questions when we don't know something is like, Dad, just ask Siri. She probably knows, right? I'm like, Siri doesn't know anything. She's a terrible assistant. But anyways, <laughs> um, ask Google. That's a much better, it's a much better option, right? But the reality is that if you're honest with yourself, what you find is that although you have limitless information at your fingertips, if you're honest with yourself, what you realize is that the more that you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know still. You see, we live in a world where the the fountain of knowledge is just like this endless pit. And the more you know, the more you realize how little you really know if you're honest with yourself. And the questions that you answer are just replaced with different and deeper questions. But that's not how it is for God. You see, God's knowledge is exhaustive. It is complete. He knows everything about everyone and everything. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord, mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. Hebrews chapter 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, for the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. John, 1 John chapter 3.20 literally says that God knows everything. You see, from the name of every star in the universe to the amount of hairs on your head, the God of the Bible knows every detail of every atom of the universe. 
And not just the external visible realities, we see throughout Scripture that he knows the invisible internal realities as well. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David implores his son Solomon to worship and serve God with his whole heart and his whole mind. He says, for the Lord searches every heart. He understands every desire and every thought. Psalm 139, the first four verses, David, again, he writes, he says, you God have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, you know, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going outs and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. See, God's knowledge is exhaustive, externally, internally, visible, invisible. And all that God knows, he knows instantly. You see, God's not like a computer hard drive that has to recall information that's been stored somewhere. Instead, he doesn't have to remember everything. Instead, God, at any moment, all knowledge is completely available to him instantly. And God's knowledge is exhaustive and it's immediate because God's knowledge is eternal. Like we talked about last week, God's not just fully present everywhere, he's fully present every when, which means that he doesn't just know everything about the present, he knows everything about the past and the present and the future. You see, we have this mistaken kind of tendency to kind of think that God can simply see what's coming, that he can simply see the future, but the reality is that God is not trapped in the present like you and I. It's not that he can just merely glimpse the past or, or look at the future. Instead, what we see is that God's outside of time. And so all moments occur to him simultaneously. He, he looks at it all from a wholly different perspective than we do. And so he knows it fully. In fact, in the Bible, one of the key differentiating factors between false gods and the true God is that God can tell the future. In Isaiah 41, uh, God, he kind of mocks idols, saying it this way, tell us, you idols, what's going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we can consider them and know their final outcome or declare to us the things that are to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we might know that you are God's. In contrast, in Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10, God talks about himself this way. He says, for I am God, there's no other. I am the God, there is none like me, for I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still yet to come, and my purposes will stand. I will do all that I please. See, God's knowledge is not just exhaustive. It's not just immediate. It's those things because it's eternal. He sees it all, past and present and future. But more than that, God doesn't just know what did or will happen. He knows what could have but didn't. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talks about what would have happened if he had revealed himself to a different people at a different place. And it reveals that God not only knows the reality of what is, but the possibility of other things that might have been. He knows all the possibilities. He knows all the reality. He knows everything. R.C. Sproul, one commentator, he sums it up this way. He says, not only does he know what we will do before we do it, but also he knows all the options we could have chosen at the moment. He knows all contingencies, and yet his knowledge of contingencies is not itself contingent. His foreknowledge is perfect and absolute. He's not a great chess player who must wait to see what we will do but he knows absolutely what we will do before we do it. Before a word is even formed on our lips, he knows it altogether. So God's knowledge is exhaustive. It's immediate. It's eternal. And lastly, what we see in Scripture is that God's knowledge is perfect. 
In Job chapter 37, Job's friend Elihu challenges him to stop and consider the wonders of him who has perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge. You see, God doesn't just know a lot of things. He knows the truth about all things. He sees everything as it truly is. He sees the truth about all things. There aren't any gaps in his knowledge. There are no blind spots. As David writes in Psalm 139, even the darkness is light to him. He never discovers or learns anything new. He is never surprised. He is never amazed. He never wonders about anything. His understanding is never augmented. It is never revised. If it was, then he wouldn't be God. Wayne Grudem, I think, sums up God's omniscience well when he writes this. He says, God is always, at all times, fully aware of everything. His knowledge never changes, it never grows, nothing surprises him, nothing is hidden from him, and from all eternity God has known all things that would happen and all things that he would do. You see, you and I, we are finite, limited beings, and yet the God of the Bible is one who is infinite, and so is his knowledge. There are no limits to it. He knows everything exhaustively, immediately, eternally, perfectly. And the reality is that when you and I, when we believe and behold in a God who is omniscient, that changes us in some really profound ways. And the first thing that it does is that it confronts and it corrects us. You see, you and I, we like to believe that we either know everything or can know everything about everyone and everything, and and therefore we know what is right and true and best and good, the way things should be. But the reality is that we don't even know ourselves completely. Half the time, you don't even know why you do the things that you do. And so God's omniscience, it confronts us the reality that because he knows everything, his understanding is deeper than ours, and his ways are higher than ours. And so when our view of what is right and true and good and best is is at odds with his, when it differs from him, then what that means is that he is right and you aren't. He knows all things. He sees all of it. You and I, we only ever have a small glimpse even of ourselves. And yet the God of the universe knows all things. That should create in us a posture of humility and submission. Not in a way that's diminutive, not in a way that's that's making us uh, small, but one that sees ourselves accurately. One that's wise. You see, because when you come to a God who knows all, you get to come humbly to him. And so God's omniscience, it confronts us, but also God's omniscience, it convicts us. And it calls us to lives of integrity. Like we talked about last week with God's omnipresence. I think sometimes you and I, we believe the lie that we're good at hiding our sin. That we're good at keeping things to ourselves. But the reality is, is that maybe you are good when it comes to people, but you're never hiding anything from God. 
All our ways are in front of him. There's no private browsing or incognito mode with him. He sees everything. And that reality should cause us to think twice about the way that we act, knowing that our sins are not secret. The the wise father in Proverbs, he writes to his son and he urges his son towards sexual purity and towards faithfulness to his own wife. And he says says it this way, why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? He says, for your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths. The Father's saying, you might think it's secret, but it's not. God sees it all. And that should lead us again to think twice before we act. But also, like we talked about last week, the reality that God sees and knows everything about us should lead us to a place where we come quickly to God to confess our sin and to repent and turn from it. You see, there's no point in trying to hide or conceal or minimize our sin before God. He sees it all. There's there's no point. He knows exactly what we've done. More than that, he knows the motives and intentions of your heart in the midst of it. He doesn't just see the external. He sees the internal. He sees and knows it all even before we've done it or thought it. And so instead of trying to hide our sin from him, which only hurts us, the invitation is that we might come to him confessing it and owning it so that we might be able to be forgiven and renewed. See, knowing that as 1 John 1.9 tells us, if we would confess our sins, that God's faithful and just, that he will forgive. So the omniscience of God, it leads us to take our sins seriously, knowing that he sees everything. And it leads us to, instead of pointlessly trying to hide our sin, to instead confess it to him. But God's omniscience is not just a warning that confronts and convicts us. God's omniscience is also a profound comfort. You see, some of you are here this morning and you've you've called yourself a Christian. You believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins, that faith in him is the one thing that makes you right with God. And yet whenever you sin, you are constantly under this doubt. You feel like, I've I've done it now. How How could God possibly love me after this? You see, and the omniscience of God reminds us that while you and I only ever see a small slice of ourselves, that God not only knows you completely, he knows you eternally. Well, that means that when Ephesians 2 tells us that God directs his love towards us, that he doesn't do that with limited knowledge or partial information. No, what we see is that God sees all of you, your past, your present, and your future. He knows you. He knew you then better than you will ever know yourself. You see, and that is deeply comforting in the midst of our sin and our failures. Because as A.W. Tozer writes, he sums it up this way, he says, and what that means is that no, no tale bearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to ambush us and expose our past. No unsuspected weaknesses in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us since he knew us utterly before we knew him. And he called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. See, some of you are here this morning and you deeply need that reminder. There is nothing God will ever find out about you that he does not already know and that he did not already know when when he died for you. You can't surprise him. And that's good news. 
But the reality of God's omniscience isn't just a comfort to us when we sin, it's a comfort to us in the midst of our trials and the difficult situations we face in life. You see, what happens is oftentimes when we face trials, what happens is we're full of fear and worry. We believing that we know what should happen and that if it doesn't, that, that everything will be a disaster. Or we often tend to think that the trials that we're facing in life, that they're pointless or that nothing good could ever come out of them. And all the while we think God's unaware or uninformed or unconcerned. And yet the reality of God's omniscience proclaims that none of that's true. Isaiah chapter 40, God speaks to his people and says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded? Don't you not, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, his understanding no one can fathom. You see, the omniscience of God is the reminder to us that sometimes you and I will get glimpses into the behind the curtain, into why things are happening in our lives. We'll get glimpses, we might see the results, often in hindsight. But the reality is, is that oftentimes on this side of heaven, you and I will not understand why things happen and when they do and for what reason. And yet the omniscience of God is this reminder to us that he absolutely does know why. And in fact, that he is working all things for our good. As Romans tells us, for those who believe in him, and that reality that God knows everything and that he's working for our good, that enables us in difficult situations and seasons to, as Proverbs 3 tells us, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. You see, believing that even if the death of Jesus was part of God's good plan, then what you and I are going through, that it's not outside of his ability to use for good, and that it's not, it's not something he cannot redeem and rework for good in our lives. You see, some of you are in that kind of a place and season right now. And things are just hard. And I want to encourage you. God knows what you are going through. He is present with you in the midst of it, and he is going to use it for good. And you can be confident about that. And when you cling to the omniscient goodness of God, what happens is that you're able to have hope in the midst of every situation and circumstance. Hopelessness comes from omniscience. The only way you can really be truly hopeless is if you know how everything will work out, but you don't. God does. And so you're able to have hope because he knows everything, not because you do. And you can have confidence instead of worry and fear. And when you pray, what you can be sure is that God will either give you what you have asked for, or you can be sure that he'll give you what you would have asked for if you knew the things he did. Jen Wilkin, I think she sums it up best. She says it this way. Our lives are filled with questions awaiting answers, but not so our omniscient God. He doesn't suffer from anxiety of not knowing that plagues are days. He has no cause for worry, for everything is certain to him. Our comfort lies, hear this, it's so important you hear this. Our comfort lies not in holding all knowledge, but in trusting the one who does. Because he holds all knowledge, we don't have to. 
Because he holds all knowledge. We don't have to. See, the problem is, though, that instead of beholding and believing in a God who is omniscient, you and I act like we're the omniscient ones. We believing that we know everything about ourselves or about others, about God, or that we need to. Instead of being characterized by humility and compassion, we're often characterized by pride and judgmentalism. We look at other people's lives or situations with a kind of fake omniscience, believing that we can diagnose their problems with absolute certainty and that we can prescribe the exact remedy that's needed in spite of the fact that we don't know the underlying motives of their surrounding situations and that we often have the same problems and ourselves that we're unaware of. Instead of trusting in the one who knows all things, we run after knowledge itself as the answer to our anxieties. We believe the lie that knowing more will get you peace of mind, but it rarely does. Jen Wilkin, again, she writes so helpfully. She says, we want all the facts, but as finite beings, we are not designed to have them, and so unsurprisingly... Unmeasured consumption of information brings us not increased peace of mind, as we had hoped, but increased dissonance. See, we live in a world where you have access to more information than at any time in history. And yet the objective reality is that we live in a world that as well is consumed by anxiety and fear and worry to a higher degree than any generation in history. Knowing more is not the solution. It's not how you get rid of anxiety. It's not how you get rid of fear. Peace is not come through just knowledge. You see, instead of resting in the omniscient God, we try to take his place. And when that doesn't work, we try to run from him. Like David in Psalm 139, we say of God that you hem me in that his hand is heavy on us. You see, the omniscience of God feels oppressive and suffocating and overbearing and smothering. The idea that there would be a God who knows everything about you, that he sees every motive of your heart, that he knows what you will do before you even do it. And so instead of embracing his omniscience, we try to run from it or we try to ignore it or we just outright reject it. And yet in the midst of all our running and rejecting from an all-knowing God, what happens is we all find ourselves longing for him. Because here is the reality. The most foundational desire that all of us have is to be loved. And what you know instinctively is that, you, is that to be loved but not to be known, that that doesn't meet that desire. It's just superficial. See, the only way to fill that desire that we all have to be fully loved is when you are fully known and yet fully loved. That's what you all long for. That's the deepest desire that all of us have. See, because to be loved but not to be known, it just is superficial and you know it. You see, and God's the only one who can know you fully. No, you can't even know yourself fully, let alone someone else. God's the one who knows you fully. And the only way that you become, that you know that you are fully loved and yet fully known, that only happens through Jesus. You see, what we see in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 is this promise 
That God says that one day he'll, he'll forgive our wickedness and that he will remember our sins no more. And the book of Hebrews is all about how God's promises come true in the person and the work of Jesus. You see, Jesus pays the penalty for our sin, that our sin and rebellion deserve, so that an omniscient and all-knowing God cannot forget what we've done in the past, but can choose not to remember it, who can choose not to act and relate to us based on our sin anymore. You see, in, in Jesus, what God shows us is that he longs that we might be completely known and completely loved. One commentator puts it this way. She writes, because Jesus dealt with our sin on the cross, God's omniscience is not a reason for fear and condemnation. Instead, it's an invitation to true intimacy with your maker. See, the gospel is the only way that God's omniscience is good news. You see, without the gospel, the omnis of God are a weight that you and I cannot bear. They are a crushing burden. They're suffocating. And yet with the gospel, the omnis of God, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, they get to be good news to you. That fuel your obedience and your joy as you revel in his abundant grace in spite of yourself. See, the omni attributes of God, they're only good news with the gospel. They're only good news because of Jesus. They're this reminder, as Tim Keller puts it so strikingly, that there is no refuge from God, but there is refuge in him. There's nowhere you can go to get away from his presence, to get away from his knowledge. There's nowhere you can hide from him. The only place you can do it is in you see, and that's part of what we're remembering and celebrating every week when we take communion. We're reminding ourselves of the refuge that we have, not from God, but in him. You see, Jesus' death on the cross in our place, it's not only the thing that pays the penalty for our sins, it's the means by which his grace gets made manifest in our lives. It's the means by which we take refuge in God. And so communion, it doesn't make you right with God, and it doesn't save you, and it doesn't change your status or your standing with God. Instead, it's a chance for us to remember, to remember that the all-knowing God, because of the person and the work of Jesus, can choose to remember your sin no more. It's been paid, dealt with, finished, done. And so if you've trusted Jesus and you believe the gospel, or if you do for the first time this morning, then I want to encourage you, go back and take communion. There's a table on the left and on the right in the back and you can dip the bread in the juice as a reminder of Jesus' body broken for you and his blood shed on your behalf. But if you're here today and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, you're still figuring out what it means to follow him and if that's something you even want in your life, then I just want to encourage you. You, you are so welcome here and in this church and in this community, but I want to encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God is not after religious rituals and going through the motions. He's after a heart that, that's not trying to run from him or appease him, but one that's taking refuge in him completely. Who comes to him saying, I don't have anything to bring. And you know that. I rest in you completely. 
And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you're at, talk with God. See, for, for some of you, the reality of God's omniscience, it needs to correct and convict you. You've been living under the lie that you indeed are the one who knows what is right and true and good, that your ways are the best ways, and that you see things as they truly are. And yet the reminder of the omniscience of God is that only he sees things the way they truly are. And it's an invitation to submit ourselves to him rather than to ask him to submit himself to us. And so the, the omniscience of God, it corrects us. For others of you, it needs to convict you. you. Maybe for some of you, you need to stop believing the lie that your sin is something that you're hiding, that it's, that it's a secret that you, only you know. And I need to encourage you this morning, instead of trying to hide something that is pointless to hide from an all-knowing God, instead come to him to confess it so that you might receive the forgiveness and renewal that you need. So some of you, you need, you need the omniscience of God to correct and convict you, but others of you, you are in desperate need of God's omniscience to be a comfort to your soul. And you need the reminder that God knows you completely and that he knew you completely when he died for you. That there is nothing you can do or say that is going to surprise him. There's nothing that you can mess up about your relationship with him. He knows you completely and fully. Let that bring you assurance as you come to him this morning. You can't surprise him. As well, some of you need the comfort in the midst of the situations and circumstances you are facing. They aren't hopeless. The omniscient God is able to bring good out of whatever you are facing, and you can trust that he's working for your good, even if you don't understand it, even if you can't see it, even if you don't understand the why and the how and the when of it, you can be sure that the God who knows everything eternally does. And you can be sure that because he's good, you can have confidence in him. Lastly, for some of you, Beholding and believing in the omnipresence of God, it needs to free you from this insatiable need you feel to always know everything. Some of you are here this morning and you find yourself constantly, you're under the crippling weight of the need to know all the information, all the variables, all the situations, all the details. And the reality is, is that for a lot of you, the reason why you are crippled by that need is because you worship the God of control. And you feel that if you had all the information and you could control all the variables, then things would work out as they should. But the reality is, is that one, you will never have it. And two, it's a false God. It'll never give you the thing you are longing for. The only way to peace is to let God be the one who holds all the knowledge so you don't have to. That's the only way. And so ask him to help you give up control. Ask him to help you give over to him the reality that he knows all the details and all the variables so that you don't have to. Let that enable you to trust him and to walk with him into the areas of life he calls you into. Let, him, let that empower you to say yes to the invitations he gives you to walk with him in your family, in your, with your friends, in your neighborhood. 
but the good news of the omniscient God shape you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful this morning that although we absolutely do not know everything you do, there is nothing hidden from your sight. God, you, your knowledge is exhaustive. It is immediate. Your knowledge is eternal. It's perfect. God, nothing surprises you. As we look at the situations we face in our own lives or in the world, you are not taken, you are not taken aback. But God, you see and know it all. And you are present in the midst of it all. And you are powerful in the midst of all of it. And so we ask, God, that you might help us to put our faith not in our own power or in our own presence or in our own knowledge, but instead in yours. That we might rest in the omni-God. God who is all-powerful, all-ever-present, and all-knowing. Might that grant us peace in the midst of every situation and hope to live for you. Might it bring us comfort, comfort and conviction that leads us to live lives for you, God, we pray. Amen.